Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. Today we're catching up with a content marketing mentor of mine, Aaron Orendorf, who I've followed closely since his days with Shopify Plus, as well as with Common Thread Collective, where he steadily became the king of long-form B2B content that adds value to the ecosystem. That's why I had to catch up with him on his switch to working with the ultimate short-form D2C content, SMS, where he's joined forces with Recart, the efficient option for SMS at scale. Aaron is a force of nature with a passion for communication who walks us through his path from literal evangelist to marketing evangelist for Recart. You'll hear all about how SaaS is way more fun to sell than agency services, why missing the SMS valuation boom was a blessing for Recart and its clients, and Aaron's formula for SMS best practices with a focus on efficiency. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. creative, whatever great imagery you're using on your site, yeah, go for it. Text overlays to make the CTA clear, the value clear. Yeah, outside of that, it's marketers marketing to marketers. You're paying for this. There are such more efficient places to use content marketing in its fuller form, in its long form, in the places your audience naturally engages with it in YouTube or TikTok, email, on a blog, through articles. SMS fundamentally exists to get people to buy. It's a purchase mechanism. Welcome to the D2C podcast. I feel this is a long time coming. I got to say huge shout out to you. When I first started D2C newsletter and podcast, I, I took to the Twitter sphere, looked to the LinkedIn sphere, looked who had the, the biggest voice and some of the biggest presence on you know the D2C social media. And I, and I instantly became a fan of your work as a content marketer. Uh, so I'm really glad to be connecting here on the D2C podcast. I am so excited to actually say out loud the feeling is mutual because obviously when I discovered uh, DDC Podcast, DDC Newsletter, immediately fell in love and then was like, no, they're competitors. Yeah. Because I was working at another agency at the time. I'm like, damn it. Okay. And now oh, I just get to openly share in that love. So this is fantastic getting to get together. Why don't you start, just because you've been in the space for a while, uh, you're pretty well known, but for those who don't know, why don't you give us your hero's journey in the e-commerce industry? I like to say I'm not an e-commerce expert, but I play one on the internet. You can relate. I'm sure you actually can. Um, And I say that a bit tongue in cheek, and I know a lot of the folks that I bump around with and have relationships with that are deep in legitimate operator space would say, that essentially I've got imposter syndrome. I have a tendency to sell myself short. So I want to say that with a bit of a caveat. I I jumped in about 10 years ago to online marketing game as a writer. I had successfully burned down a previous life and career. Uh, didn't grow up in a religious home, but uh, I had what I would have at the time described as a conversion experience. Um, I got deployed when I was in the military and decided to go to seminary. I got a master's degree. I was full on in multi-site church here in the Portland area. So it was a large congregation. And then very successfully and like from 60, 120 miles per hour down to zero. Um, And that was just about a decade ago, actually, a decade ago in February. And I had to eat. I knew I could string together words better than the average bear. And I thought, I bet there's people who will pay me to write words better than they can. And that's really, I threw up a website and just wrote like a madman 
for the first two, three years of my career. It's writing, but it's also, I think, your ability to really throw yourself into complex ideas, become fascinated with them so much so that you internalize them. I think I, this, I, it's like talking to a mirror, really. But I, but I just in seeing your writing, like you'd never guess that you weren't like that you hadn't sold a million, you know, physical products. Basically, we, you know, looking at the writing you did with Common Thread Collective, for instance, and all the all the great stuff you were kind of putting out there. Well, I came up through, so I did that whole, uh, good writing covers a multitude of sins is how I like to think about it. So I wrote for, uh, what my goal early on was is let me get as many logos as I can on my own website of publications. So I just cold pitched full articles to entrepreneur, Forbes, fast company, business insider, like the big names, a bunch of niche publications as well. Um, full articles that opened the door in a way that, nothing else could because it was like taking something off the editor's plate. You probably appreciate this, right? When someone actually comes into your world and they're like, here, I made this for you. It's actually good. And it's not a list of things that you need to check and a homework assignment. But one of the people I stumbled into was a guy named Tommy Walker. He was the editor-in-chief at Conversion XL, uh, where Pep Lejave just left. Now he's running Winter. I mean, huge, massive, uh, growing organization at the cutting edge, I would say, like of conversion rate optimization, of online marketing, of now branding and storytelling. Anyway, I caught Tommy's eye and he was just getting started as uh, running. He was the sort of lone show in town at Shopify Plus. And I came in at the right freaking time and just kept stumbling backwards into career opportunities in e-commerce from there forward. Spent four years at Shopify Plus ended up leading written content, um, and then had the great fortune of stumbling into those Common Thread Collective people too, uh, and having them just hone the crap out of my mind and heart. Really interesting to hear about your background also. It's funny, you, you're, you're a product evangelist, but you come by it naturally because you were, you were training towards being a literal evangelist. Yeah, let me tell you. And part of that too, that second life or the first life that I lived that led into this second life, I was really fortunate because like I said, I didn't grow up in a religious home. In fact, I grew up uh, with a self-consciously atheistic father who was an incredible critical thinker and could appreciate elements of religion and spirituality, but looked at it very wide-eyed and said, but I can't cross that bridge, right? So I had this really fortunate, um, and so much of like my intellectual abilities, I realized do not come, like they're just, they're gifts is what they are. But then also when I went into that world, I was exposed to and cut my teeth on phenomenal communicators who were not concerned with preaching to the choir, rallying the base, but instead whose objective was to crawl inside the mind of their audience, say, I don't get to disagree with you until I can articulate your position better than you, and then lead you not from A all the way to Z, but from A to B. What if we move from B to C? What if there's a different way to think about this that actually fulfills the thing you already want? And let me tell you, that is a thousand percent how I think about marketing. It's a step-by-step -step process, conversion, conversion rate, right? All the fun little puns and whatever that you could, you could do with that. But it's about what is this person's desire? How do I articulate their pain and their wants as clearly, even more powerfully than they can and say, ah, but there might be another way to achieve that and channel those desires. Right, onto something new, some new object. That's the idea. 
And it fits so well with, you know, the other subject of this conversation, which, which is SMS. You know, I, I think of each piece of the marketing puzzle has its role. And, and I think there's a lot of people that might want to, you know, tell the whole story in an SMS or, but you really have to remember that the job of that SMS or the job of most ads is to get you to the landing page. And that's where you get evangelized a little bit more. So it's, it's all about going A to B, B to C, rather than trying to date. So as Russell Brunson said, you don't try to ask someone to marry them on the first date. Yeah. And it's the, the, the deep irony. You probably understand this. I don't know how many of our dear listener, if you even understand this, if you've been exposed to me, I'm the most effing verbose person. Like I just can't not write in long form. So the irony of like now doing something that is the king of short form content, there's something really delightful about that as well. But it comes back to, yeah, what is the goal? What am I trying to accomplish with this sentence? And it's the same way I thought about it when, you know, uh, selling enterprise software to how do you hone an ad from the hook rate to the hold rate to the click-through rate to the conversion rate, right? It's this whole, like, just breaking something down systematically and realizing each one of these elements has a job and it has to simultaneously get them to the next element and set them up to complete that next element successfully. Like, there's so much art and science to all of this as well. So what brought you to Recart? What made you choose Recart as your next uh, thing to evangelize? Wow, to evangelize. You put it so nicely. You make it sound so principled. No, and I, I would like to think that it is. You know, I left Common Thread Collective in August of last year. Uh, probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest. You know, it was. It was the hardest career decision I've ever made. Uh, even harder than deciding when, when I decided to leave Shopify Plus, because I knew it was time there. I knew it was time at CTC. Um, I'd had a lot of uh, new burgeoning opportunities in the consulting space. So I thought, okay, let me do that. Let me take a break for one, because I just go hard. So I needed a break for sure. And Recar was one of the people that came in really early to engage me with consulting. And I was, I'd never heard of them. It was a cold DM via LinkedIn. But what I began to experience as I said, yes, let's talk. Yeah, here's like the rates, that sort of thing. They passed all the tests was I was really impressed with the retention of existing clients because you probably understand this too uh, in, the, in the agency game. It's just the nature of it. And that nature of retention is only amplified by now the atmosphere of the industry. Yep. Yeah, where cost cutting is a premium. Uh, efficiency is at a premium and people are just straight up struggling. Um, and it's a pretty big line item. Anyway, so but what I saw was essentially the, the inverse of that. And I know part of that is just the nature of moving from agency to SaaS where retention is just by nature a lot stronger. Uh, but that was the first real indication to me of an increase in customer value over a 12 month period, including churned customers that still added up to about 150%. Like it was positive, positive revenue churn is, is the way to think about it, was one of them. And then the other piece simply came down to, they had a great product. Am I allowed to curse on this show? What's, oh, the, what's F, the rule? F yeah. Okay. They had a great product and fucking shitty marketing. 
Mm. And they knew it. And I'm not saying anything that I'm going to get in trouble for. <laughs> no, I've said this. Like they like, and and they just had hired like a growth marketer. They'd got a content person on earlier that year. There was no leadership. They'd been looking for leadership for a while. And I was like, dude, if you freaking people can do what you've done with this level of like fucking shitty marketing, Aaron Orndorff can do some damage here in a really good Gas, way. Gas, meat, flame. That's the hope. That was the real like, yeah, yeah, we can do some stuff. And then there's some other unique elements too, right? And I think this is maybe even more helpful too for just people thinking about their own careers. Because one of the things that really influenced me too was this explosion of money into e-commerce and D2C that took place since mid-2020. And really, I don't know if it inflated. I don't know if I want to say that far. A lot of the valuations that particularly SaaS companies were, were doing. And now, right, the chickens are fucking coming home. Um, that, that inflation, Recart missed all of that because they didn't have a product that did SMS. They were coming off the back end of really strong adoption through Facebook Messenger. And then the realization and Facebook's own realization that this isn't actually a viable channel that's going to scale. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of the things that like native social where it just Instagram shops can gone. Facebook's like, yeah, we, we all wanted that to work and it didn't that sort of thing. So they pivoted in the middle of that influx of cash. They were in the, they were right in the middle of actually building the product. And normally that's just a terrible situation to be in where you're late to the party. But in this case, it's sort of like they, they missed that initial influx of cash so that now that we've got a positive growth rate, not only not flat or not negative, but a positive growth rate puts us in a position to, uh, I say Aaron, do some damage. Aaron, do some financial damage for himself too. To be a part of something early in that prime opportunity is a lot of it. Without the insane inflated valuations and all the pressure that would come potentially with having all that, taking all that money, taking all those pumped up valuations in what's looking like a more, a tighter time, a downtime. So it gives you a bit more freedom to how you grow as well, potentially. It does. It gives you freedom to how you grow. It removes some of the constraints and it makes it so positive growth is inherently more valuable than it's ever been before. So you can leverage that positive growth more powerfully than you ever could before as well. And I mean this in the eyes of like, Aaron comes in, he gets a cut, right, of, he gets a percentage, and that percentage is increased based on if we hit some of these initial goals, based on, they haven't even done Series A yet, so it's like, oh my gosh, green field of opportunity in that front too. And it's also talk about adoption with SMS. It's like, you know, we talk about, you know, all the all the really high level brands that I'm working with or that I talk to on the podcast, they're mostly doing SMS at this point. But what does SMS look like broadly in the e-commerce industry in terms of adoption? That also really surprised me because um, there's some smart engineering cookies. I say the thing about like terrible marketing, right? They got some smart engineering cookies on that side, especially the growth marketer and the data engineer who's tasked to marketing. So one of the projects that they rolled out, and initially this was supposed to be a, a method of doing outbound, it was let's, let's really dig deep into the landscape of adoption based on the size of stores, sort of like a tier of top 1,000, top 5,000, top 25,000, top 75,000, top 150,000. And when you're looking at those top 1,000, um, top 5,000, you see majority adoption, but really only to the tune of like 60, mid high 60s percent. Like, like it's, it's tipped with those larger merchants like or the larger businesses you were just talking about. But as soon as you move out of the top 25 into 75 and out even into the top 150, which means viable business, 
viable business in the top 150,000 for sure. It, it dips to like uh, below 20 and at that 100, uh, the 150K, it's like 13, 14% have an active SMS app installed on their site. So it's all done through scraping and like, what are they actually running? And you can do all the built with, et cetera, store leads, things to get like tech stack and then compare them to each other to make sure you're not missing anything. Um, that was one that really surprised me too. Cause I'm used to working like on the agency side, like you just don't talk to anybody that's sub 25K or 50,000 of the top stores. Cause they just can't afford you. So they're not on the radar. And you have this impression that it's ubiquitous and it's not. And it should be because it is that asymmetrical engagement opportunity more so than any other channel. It's this deeply personal channel. So it's like it's like those we talk about arming the rebels. Uh, you know, we've got the top 100 stores doing this mostly. It's that next group are the ones that maybe have the most to gain by employing it. It's the next wave, yeah. And I don't know what that fancy innovators dilemma bell curve of you know early adopters. If we're quite past that, we're definitely not into early. We're, maybe we're like peaking into early majority. But obviously, what's going to happen with that too is one, it represents a greenfield for growth. Like, yes, I'll attach myself to a company because there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of opportunity. But it also means for people that are either a moving into it for the first time, or B, taking it seriously as its own viable, let's respect it, let's treat it the same way we would with attention and care as any other channel. There's a, it's almost like there's this clock of you can smash and then everyone else is gonna come in and it's gonna be just as crowded and just as jaded as Every other channel, right? It's one your of those. inbox. Just, How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? It, your, your emails, but it's also just going to be ads, like everything. Like what Google is so good at doing, right, is it's an auction system. And it's not the same way necessarily with like email and SMS, um, but you basically auction your way down to zero. So that if there's any arbitrage moment, it it's fleeting. People take advantage of it. And then, you know, all the competition comes in and efficiency goes down. And it's gonna be the same thing with SMS. I think there's ways to continue and that's gonna be a different fight uh, strategically as we move forward. But that's really like a year, year and a half clock on like, you go out there and just like nail the basics. It's stupid what you can do. Describe to me the basics, what you consider like table stakes sort of when it comes to building out like an SMS channel. I suppose you can think of it about, there's only three ways to grow a business. You can acquire new customers. You can sell more to the customers you have, both LTV and AOV. So you can make each purchase worth more, or you can make that customer worth more to you over time. Or three, you can improve your margins, improve efficiency, all right? That's it. And so at the top of that of acquiring new customers, uh, SMS is, predominantly a, someone has been exposed to your website and signed up, like <laughs> not predominantly what it is, right? Um, but when it comes to thinking about that, that first lever, it's uh, have we separated our desktop from mobile pop-up so that we haven't adapted one to be responsive? Because that leaves a lot up to chance and it, and it does stupid things like move the button um, it can put you in danger of not being compliant, depending on how text is rendered, 
right? So separate your mobile and desktop pop-ups. Uh, always enable what's called minimized view. Uh, one of the big wins we often get with new customers coming in is once somebody clicks out of or closes the pop-up, it goes away completely. Instead of a simple, whatever that fundamental offer is boiled down to a bubble in the bottom left side of the screen on desktop or mobile. Um, it's stupid. The 2X, that's simply enabling that so people can hit it again and go back through and like, yeah, I, I am ready for the offer now, whatever that offer was, because I've looked around a little bit. All right, so, so your, your aim is to accelerate list growth to acquire new customers. And that means the very first thing you've got going to them is the welcome flow. So hone that welcome flow to be four, possibly five or six messages long, including delivering that initial offer immediately don't bury it or wait for did not click on email, give it to them. If they gave you their number, give it to them both ways. Fire them both off, sort out the attribution later. Make that money is the idea. Um, and then follow it immediately up with a contact card. And the reason I start to talk about contact card as being part of the basics now is with iOS 16 rolling out and the new folders, unrecognizable numbers being relegated, they're really a lot of question marks around what's going to be that promotional folder. It's no longer just one messaging system to rule them all where everything appears. It's a lot more incentive now to have that nailed down. So you got your pop-up, you got your welcome flow, set up that kind of abandonment, card abandonment, and browse abandonment as well. Uh, the lion's share to the tune of like 75% of all month over month SMS revenue, text-based revenue comes from automations. The lion's share. And the lion's share of that is nailing your welcome flow. So if you're phoning in one message done, fix it. Go give them something where it's like, here's the offer. Uh, this is the contact card. We've got the uh, review text that then goes through two days later. We've got the brand story text that goes through. We've got the how to pick the right product or take this quiz one that goes through. And then we've got the last chance it's expiring to go through. Just get that thorough and let it run. Where are you going next? You got, are there any other table stakes you've added? Like, I think that covers the basics. Anything else you'd add? Yeah. At the opposite extreme is folks that have uh, the basics nailed down and are now trying to figure out how do we achieve high volume sending and still remain highly efficient. And, and in that place, one of the things that a lot of providers don't make it easy to do is regular list cleaning. Um, and because they're simply not incentivized to do that. And this is one of those opportunities where being at a company where uh, we're incentivized to grow and get new customers, we're able to, we're just in a position more to do the right thing because not for any like virtuous reason, but just because doing the right thing aligns with who we're serving right now and what we're able to do. Because we can grow by simply new customer, new clients, new merchants, new businesses. So cleaning your list, some you don't even get access to. And what I mean by that is um, having, in our case, uh, having someone go through and identify, is this kind of landline a turned off number or does it actually receive texts? Because it's just not, it's not built into any platform to actually do that for you. Can that lets you get, once you have like a, a cleaner list, you can really push harder into uh, aligning full list sends with, monthly drops, monthly events, 
monthly holidays, or at least, and this is just a carryover from when I was a Common Thread Collective, organizing a four-peak marketing calendar to have large moments at least four times a year, one uh, being Black Friday, Summer Money, and three outside of that. And then, so you've got these full list sends because you've got a clean list, so you know you're reaching people, and then you're sending a clicked but did not purchase reminder 24 hours later. Every freaking time. It is wild how much money people leave on the table with like someone clicked through and then they got distracted. They didn't add to cart, so they didn't get scooped up at that, any sort of automation, but they showed intent in what you sent them. And then you just left it alone. Just clicked but did not purchase from last campaign, hit them with the exact same messaging. You don't need to incentivize it any further. And it's, it's almost like this just cleanup of ROI because that's a far lower send and it's almost all pure, like these folks are on it. And it's a, it was just talking about this yesterday with uh, our, the head of email at Pilot House. Uh, it's buckshot versus snipers. He's using a, military uh, metaphors. But essentially when you're sending that, uh, when you're sending that 24 hours after click but did not purchase, it's not a blind message that you're sending to your whole list. It's an intent, it's based on intent. And so people tend to message all the time, like people sometimes will message too much for, for maybe no good reason. Maybe they're just messaging their whole list and then they don't message enough when it really matters, which are these, those moments of like true, ca truly capitalizing on intent. And that sounds like this supports that. Yeah. And I've just seen so many also creative examples of these, because what you're trying to do is find mix and match opportunities of um, high volume sending, clean list, so you can go after them. And then... Uh, a lot of smaller opportunities for segmented sends, whether that's click but did not purchase, or like, this is one of my favorites, dude. My favorite is is uh, the fake flash sale. Ooh, never heard of the fake flash. The fake flash sale is so you're only you're only allowed to send people one abandoned cart or abandoned browse reminder uh, in any forty eight hour period. And then you have to wait another 30 days unless they initiate a new cart and abandon it again. What you can do is has had a item in cart, right? In the last seven days or currently has item in cart. And on Friday, do a warehouse sale, a flash sale, but you're literally only sending it to those people. Private flash sale. It's, it's yeah. And you're not, it's not an abandoned cart. Come back and get what you get. It's a general campaign with a general offer, but it's it's wrapped around this idea of they're right there, let's push them in. Um, we can't reach them with the usual methods. They might've got one of those already or because of that 30 day waiting period, we can't automate it again, but we're absolutely legally allowed. We've got the consent to send them based on behavior that they've done on site, anything we want to in a one-off campaign. So use that information wisely. And it's not gonna be a big send in that sense, but the actual returns on that compared to what you're paying for it, and you've always gotta be aware of that with SMS and MMS, compared to email, the returns on that are striking. The efficiency. The efficiency. Is excellent. You mentioned iOS 16 and I just, I, uh, you know, my brain is still as a, as a, you know, focused on meta ads and ad man, I'm still stuck at iOS 14.5, but we're already, I just Googled this prior to this, we're at next week, iOS 16.3 is set to release. When you're talking about like the folders for MMS, is that coming out next week? Or like, when is when are you expecting that to come out? I believe it's been rolled out in India and there's another continent or country 
that it's also been rolled out in. So I've seen a few things pop up recently in Twitter and LinkedIn of like, it's here. And then somebody like follows up with like, actually it's not, sorry, my bad. Um, but it's a uh, it's, it's essentially an update to the message application inside iOS. Um, and right now what you can do is you can filter between known numbers and unknown numbers. So if somebody, if somebody sends you a contact card as a brand, they immediately become a known number and you end up in their primary inbox. Um, and what they're also then gonna roll out is a promotions inbox, essentially, a promotions filter, uh, where it's trying to identify, and one of the signals it gets is unknown number, and then any of these other things like links um, that essentially start pushing texts into more of a, the same way email functions right now, or Gmail is able to identify promotions unless you interact with it, and then it moves it into your inbox. And so this content card uh, feature that you're mentioning is going to be essential when this rolls out, where you're going to be able to say, this is just like us with a newsletter. You subscribe, make sure you add us to your, your preferred or star us or flag us, right? It just allows you to kind of potentially escape some of those filters. I don't know if you're on, like, this probably isn't, this is just audio, right? We're doing a podcast. This is a no, there, there is YouTube. They, people, some people will see all of our hand gestures. Okay, good. Because you should obviously, yeah, if you listen to this, watch it again, you're going to get so much more facial expressions and hand gestures. No, that's exactly it. Yes, where uh, the contact card is email, phone number, brand name, short description, and then often a website as well, where you can put all that in and it counts as an actual send. So you have to pay to get it out. Um, but you're sending it immediately after, usually 15 to 30 minutes after the uh, welcome offer goes out and you're still top of mind and you're just giving people instructions to, let's be friends, add us to your contact card. That way you won't miss a single discount dealer drop, that sort of thing. Let's get to your hot take here. So one of the things that comes up on the podcast quite a bit is uh, conversational commerce. Uh, and I wanted to just get your thoughts on where uh, SMS fits into, like, should we be having more general conversations through M SMS? Should we be st brand storytelling through SMS? What's your view on SMS and conversational commerce? Content has a place in text. And what I mean by that is creative. Good creative, gififying, using real, you know, whatever great imagery you're using on your site, non-stock photos, yeah, go for it. Clear overlays, text overlays, same way you would treat it with an ad to make the CTA clear, the value clear, yeah. But outside of that, I mean, it's every, it's marketers marketing to marketers. Native social content was this. Oh, we all want it to work. It's so neat. Oh, it happens native and in-app and it's on the platform and oh, wouldn't it be cool? And you see like, right, marketers love, I mean, they, they love the uh, thirsty email shares the most where you got like the beautiful email. Oh my gosh, those things pop, right? It's just, oh, gorgeous, glorious. Whether or not they actually work, no one usually ends up saying anything about that, right? But and then the, the thirst trap for SMS is like, oh, it was like a choose your own adventure sort of thing with like one, two or three, or it was, uh, you know, just like a funny gif and then a response. And there's this brand building where you're storytelling inside of it. Uh, and listen, I fucking love Liquid Death. Like I'm mad, right? They have, they have phenomenal copywriting. Um, and so often they'll get lumped in with that too. There's some that I used to love as a content marketer as well. Um, but at the end of the day, you're paying for this 
And there are such more efficient places to use content marketing in its fuller form, in its long form, in the places your audience naturally engages with it in, whether that's YouTube or TikTok, email, written content uh, on a blog through articles. SMS fundamentally exists to get people to buy. It's a purchase mechanism. And what that means that it comes down to is that uh, existing brand affinity. If someone likes your brand, they're okay with you sending them texts and they've given you permission to that. That's like the fundamental, you gotta be this tall to ride the ride sort of piece. And then after that, what people legitimately want is send me relevant offers, things I'm interested in, and I'm price conscious. Which brand embodies this best for you, would you say, that you that's currently on your phone? <laughs> I've only ever bought and I think I'm wearing a t-shirt of them right now. I love Forever 21's SMS. And, and I should screen like record it for you because it is just the, like marketers would fucking hate it. Because what it is, is it's once or twice a week, a message that essentially boils down to, it's never MMS, there's never any images that go with it. It's always pure. It's basically, hey asshole, go fucking buy something today. That is essentially what's going on in Forever 21s. And there's always that danger of like, okay, big doesn't mean it, it's good, but it's like these workers get it and they would not be doing that if at their volume, that wasn't cranking revenue for them. It's easy to pop in, pop out. And when it's a relevant offer, I'm there, right? And I'm re-up on t-shirts. And I just, it's the, it's the absolute antithesis of what people like to screenshot and show off and flex. And I've talked to some folks in pitch meetings who are like, yeah, we got sold on blank conversational commerce. We tried doing it and it's like, oh, super low engagement. We can't track any sort of long-term value. And all it did was actually cost us a lot of money. So we're gonna clip this, put it on the, on the, on the internet and we're gonna get the SMS team from uh, Forever 21 to come on the podcast thanks to this awesome interview. Do it, man. I love that one. Cause it's so like, this is it. This is the ethos of how you make it, how you make it work. And if someone's ready to opt out, fucking cool, fine. You can go, right? Aaron, I, this has been fun. We'll have to do this again. Thanks for coming on the D2C podcast. If you wanna get uh, on board with, with Aaron over at Recart, you go to recart.com. What would you say to the people out there whose contracts are coming up on SMS, maybe considering a switch? Cheap doesn't equal efficient. One of the talk tracks, talk tracks, that's really been effective with a couple of the, particularly um, a couple of very recent large deals that came through that we won over competitors that is one of those pieces of like big names we went up against and won was we may or may not be able to get you a better rate. We probably can, but I don't want to win because of that. If it's a race to the bottom, if cheap is what wins, then I want it to be cheap doesn't equal low unit costs. It means we're going to get you a better return because we're going to work harder for it. We're going to think more strategically. We're going to be more aggressive about helping you get reliable click only ROI. We're going to adjust that the way you want. Is it one day? Is it seven day? For some of the larger, it's going to come down to holdout testing and validating incremental lift. We're going to do that. We're going to work harder to make it not cheap. 
I'll, I'll take any win I can get, but I want cheap does not equal efficient. And it's so tempting right now to think in those terms. I get it. And there probably are some players out there who have these big valuations, these big inflated valuations that aren't as incentivized to align on efficiency as a, as a hungry company like Recart, right? And listen, part of what I just said is absolutely marketer speak. Like, let's be really honest, right? Because I also know that if they, if the larger folks catch wind of like, if people shop contracts, right? Then that's what they do. That's what people are gonna do. They're gonna shop contracts. You gave me this, you gave me this. Can you give me better? Um, They've got so much more money they can beat us. They absolutely can. So part of it is just, I mean, it really is. Like, how do you position yourself against, uh, when you're going up against folks that are bigger can do those kind of things. Um, but They don't have an Aaron, I'll tell you that. Or maybe they do. Some of them probably have an Aaron light, but they don't have the Aaron. And listen, I, uh, if it counts for anything, these freaking people sold me when I didn't expect to be sold on me coming in. And it was the ethos that I saw built into what I just described, live and breathe that I was like, this is something special. Let's do it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.